Hello and welcome to the one Mass Effect show that dares to ask, how big is space and how much gayer could it be? A lot gayer, I'll tell you that right now. It's 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 a it's a crime, you know. It's just, it's not it's not enough, and we're here to try and change that as much as we can. This is Normandy FM. As always, I am your co-host Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host Kent Shepard. Hello. This is I where just I was gonna. My finger. I hope that was audible. I popped my finger. I hope that was audible. It was like I saw a spike on the Audacity recording, and I was like, "Ooh, everybody just heard me pop my finger." Oh, I pop like my fingers and shit like throughout the show all the time, and I'll see little spikes on the on Audacity, and it's like I gotta make sure to edit that out because that's that's fucking weird. <laughs> Why would we edit that out? That is part of the normal human experience: taking our bones out of their sockets to let them breathe. That's how that works. I know I'm a scientist. No, that's literally how they work. Like, I, I, okay, I have, like, a weird obsession with watching chiropractor videos, like, for, like, the past, like, three years or so. Like, generally about at least four out of seven nights of the week, I'll, like, just be up all night watching fucking chiropractor videos. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug to the Try Guys, who, they recently did one, and then one of them wasn't there for it, so he reacted to it, which was, like, just as good, like, as CNN again. Hmm. It, chiropractor videos are my shit. It's fucking weird, but I've never been to a chiropractor even in all of that. So, Kenneth Shepard, really into doing bone stuff. <laughs> Joint popping. I like doing bone stuff, but okay. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of bone speaking, stuff. Oh, I was gonna say speaking of scientists, but speaking of bone stuff. <laughs> We're heading to Horizon today, so I like the way that this mission opens up because you've basically got Martin Sheen, uh, the elusive man himself, telling you, hey, stuff's going to go down. It's it's going to get real bad at Horizon. We should go there. And you're like, oh, wait, should we like call in some help, some reinforcements or anything? He's like, nah, man, we're just going to get in there and do our stuff, and then, I don't know, maybe we'll call in some people afterwards. Like... I feel this is the moment where you start to really be like, oh, this dude is super sketchy. Because before, it's it's always been like, oh, yeah, he's the leader of Cerberus. You know, you, you get told, oh, he has different means of approaching things, and some people don't agree with it, so it's whatever. And here, he's just like, yeah, this house is on fire, so we're going to go check out what kind of TV and resolution they're using and stuff, and then we'll call the fire department. <laughs> you got a lot of, like, blind faith in the Normandy crew to just, like, handle basically anything. Because, like, in retrospect, they... he sends you out to do shit when there's not a lot of information. So for all we fucking know, a Reaper could just, like, land on this planet. And we got the we got this dainty-ass Normandy SR2 ready to take on the fucking fleet. We could just be hanging out, you know, all the Reapers show up. That's where they all were was Horizon. They're just mm. all hanging out there. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, but Horizon really feels like, I I was trying to think of it in segments, and it feels like kind of the conclusion of 
the first third of this game, but mm-hmm. also like the first arc of this game because the the events that transpire here not only kind of really cement the tone of the game for me and 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 don't worry we will get to the the moment in particular (laughs) where it does this um gotta build up the episode a little bit man can't get there right away um but also it just kind of sets the stakes a little bit because i think up to this point you're like okay well people are disappearing and the reapers are involved and anytime the reapers are involved shepherd's got to be there so that's what we're doing but i think this is the first time that you really get to see what the human cost of all the stuff that's been happening has been Mm -hmm. uh you get that nice little vignette that opens it up where uh it's hanging out in the colony people are working talking you know hanging out and then surprise your surviving human crewmate uh is is down there helping out too and uh then you see the collectors swarm in and so this is where this is where our playthroughs now diverge because mm. for the sake of science, for the sake of the podcast, Ashley Williams is alive in my in my playthrough. Uh whereas uh Ken I, I believe I, am I pronouncing this right? Kai Dan is alive? You know, I just came up with like a really <laughs> great sum of money. I could fly to Texas right now and just bitch slap you. <laughs> That's not a it's not allowed here in Texas. You're only allowed to, like, uh, I don't know, pull out a six-shooter and say there's a snake in my boots. That's I've been playing too much Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of cowboy things to say, and all I could think of was Woody. I mean, it is, it is the definitive cowboy thing to say. Really unless, thinking Unless you of... want to be like, oh, I don't give my workers a time off because I work at Rockstar. Hey! hey. <laughs> Wait, Rockstar... Rockstar's not Texas, is it? I don't know if it's Cowboys. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to say the one very specific thing I was thinking of was that shark toy that pops out of the toy box with Woody's hat <laughs> on. He goes, ah, Woody, howdy, howdy, howdy. Good Lord. <laughs> that is, that's no. everybody when they imitate Texans. That is what it's like. Nobody FM, King Hearts Podcast. <laughs> um, so you, you have Caden alive, uh, I don't imagine that much differed here because it was just, you know, they're hanging out, they're they're chatting and all mm-hmm. that, and then all of a sudden some collectors show up, it's very foreboding, and then we get to actually see what these collector bugs do, the way that they, they freeze people and swarm in and stuff and It's fucking nightmare shit. Like Yeah. Like sleep paralysis or something. Like cause... speaking as someone who has had sleep paralysis a couple times in his life, that was pretty terrifying <laughs> did you have weird bug creatures coming into your room no um okay we're gonna get into welcome to eric's psychotherapy hour um most of my life i have had uh lucid dreaming of some sort uh it, it comes and goes in spurts when i was a kid it was really bad because it'd be lucid nightmares so basically i would have dreams that felt extremely lifelike and real and they would often be nightmares so uh, part of the reason I didn't like sleepovers because I would wake up really freaked out and stuff and wasn't a good time. So, <laughs> um, but every once in a while I would wake up from one of those and I would still feel like there was something like in the corner watching mm-hmm. me or something, and that if I moved it would like attack me. So I would just lie there, too afraid to go to sleep, but too afraid to move. So I just kind of so um, yeah, 
<laughs> it's it's not a good time. It's not a happy time. And so I imagine being actually physically unable to move like that, probably not a great time for them either. No. Eric's psychotherapy hour. <laughs> Shit. Um, so the the reason why we brought along Morden, his whole reason, only reason for being on here, is uh is to make us a little serum that uh that'll let us not get well, so here's the thing I, I've never been clear on. This is not a thing that makes it so that they don't get attacked by the bugs, right? It's not like an anti venom or anything like that. It's not an immunity that they have to the sleeper stuff. It's more of like an aroma that wards them off or something like that? I always thought it was something that almost, like, sort of like how the Norman had, like, a stealth drive. Like, I thought it was, like, they couldn't see you in a way. Yeah, that, that was my understanding it. of it. Yeah, no, I remember when they were explaining it, like, Morden said something. I was just like, sure, cool, whatever. <laughs> Video game needs to give us a reason for why we aren't paralyzed like everybody else. That's cool. Like, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Normandy FM in it for the details. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought that this part was really cool because you get to actually like see the collectors and deal with the collectors and, and fight the collectors. And then in comes the character, the most important character in the Mass Effect canon, Harbinger. We get to assume direct control. Well, he gets to assume direct control. Uh I feel like that's one of the most iconic Mass Effect lines, like straight up for, for good or ill. Direct control, <laughs> and it got <laughs> memefied a <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, Harbinger is is a cool reveal. Also, much later in the series, Harbinger is a way cooler reveal. But that's that's something much much later. Um, it's it's cool to fight the collectors. And finally see the enemies and stuff. Mm. I don't feel uh, like they... I feel like among the like the factions of things that you fight, I feel like they have the least variety, though, in just terms of like their abilities and like the tactics you have to use against them. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention, is that it really seems like, as far as their enemy variety, it's just... Um, you, you, you have like the basic grunts, and then there are a few that are like maybe a little souped up. And then uh, you have the world's worst enemy... The the giant flying asshole. I hate that thing so much. I forgot the proper name for it. I was going to mark it down, but I think I even in my notes wrote giant flying asshole. So Praetorians or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, Praetorian sounds right. Uh basically just Okay. Everything that we have liked so far about Mass Effect, everything that's been good about this series, okay? Or or specifically this game and the combat. The fact that it's much more cover-based, and there's strategy and stuff like that, and you have to think a little bit, and you to use your abilities. Here comes a giant flying meat shield that doesn't care about cover, will happily knock you out of cover because that's what its attack does, and like just moves around in the open, and it's the worst. I hate it so damn much. It is actually the worst. So. Um, I just, I, I feel like it is antithetical to how the game wants you to play and not in the way that's like okay i gotta i'm taken out of my comfort zone i gotta adjust a little bit i gotta do something different no it's just like hey we decided that we were gonna make an enemy and we didn't consult any of the other designers and we're just doing it this way uh here we go big guy that shoots (laughs) shockwaves 
My, my follow-up question to you is, what heavy weapon do you use? So, for most of the game... So, originally, the first time I played it, I want to say, like, all my su- subsequent playthroughs, I used the collector beam rifle. Right. And I remember that being much easier to kill the right. the dude with. Whereas this time, I was trying to use weapons that I hadn't used, so I went with the... Um, I think it was... By this point, I had the missile launcher. Uh, hmm. I was using the grenade launcher before it. Uh, none of the other heavy weapons I really like because they're all just kind of either they seem a little cheap or they're like, oh, make a black hole or whatever. Or, yeah, they're, not they're like more about, spectacle than they are like practical. Yeah, because like, yeah. I've always used the beam rifle and me being a vanguard that has Reeve having Miranda there with me and having Gareth there to use uh concussive shot to like take out the barriers like I've never really had a huge problem with those um and then maybe that's just like me being more spec towards things that fight the collectors cause like so this this was the mission where I realized that A I needed to change up my build because charge wasn't doing it for me like it used to and B I needed to um, think about who I brought into missions because I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to like bring who I feel feels Lori for this. So I brought, uh, I think it was Morden and I want to say Miranda uh, because I was like, oh, that, that, that makes sense. You know, I've got the guy who did the, the collector thing here, so it has to work because he's <laughs> got to use it too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh miranda you know oh maybe she'll have some like dialogue with my my human squad mate and that'll be interesting uh i almost brought garris but then decided on uh miranda instead and neither of them were very effective at dealing with the collectors not not miranda's got warp yeah but i only did it only does so much (laughs) we're talking about like paper cuts on a bear here um yeah, so that this isn't even the most egregious offender. That one will come later during the uh, collectorship fight. Mm. Uh, that one is the absolute worst, mostly because of the layout of the room that you are fighting in. But uh, it was it, this was definitely the part where I was like, oh, hey, right, this is a thing I got to deal with. And even, I mean, I don't like dealing with the Scions either, the the guys that also shoot shockwaves, yeah. like the giant husks. Um but those are at least like they're slow moving. They don't take cover. They're just kind of walking targets, and they're used sparingly they, as well. They're just like they don't yeah get used like in multiple missions really. Like when they start ramping up the action is when they add two of them at the same time. For the most part, it's just a bunch of husks and then one of those guys, mm-hmm. and that's a more manageable number. So most of this mission though ends up being a lot of combat and a lot of just running through the colony and kind of seeing what has happened, uh, seeing what's gone down. But I, I think the, the crux of what we're going to talk about here is is um, when you finally get through, uh, you you boot up all the different uh, missile and colony defense systems so you can get the collector ship off the planet, you know, and then you meet your former squad mate. Who is surprisingly left, like, alive and fine, like... So, okay, the one thing that we gotta point out is that it is sort of framed that the collectors came looking for that person because yes. they were looking for people that were connected to Shepard, and yet they, they take everybody except for 
this random fucker who's like mad at us because we couldn't save everybody, and then the person they came for. Yeah, so I was wondering about that too because they they show everybody getting carted off, and then all of a sudden the squad mate shows up, totally cool. It's like, did you just find a closet or something? You were literally like shooting an assault rifle at a horde of bugs, and then you're just here and you're chill it's all good like it, very strange disconnect there um but so one of the things i wanted to bring up was when we were talking uh, i can't remember if this was on the podcast or if this was just in slack or something like that uh very early on you mentioned how weird it was uh the way that former squad mates greet Shepard, seeing mm-hmm. them for the first time and you mentioned that the only time it felt natural and good was with the human squad mate on horizon so now's your time can speak your piece let the people hear so i'm a i can't claim to know what bioware was thinking when they wrote this scene but it is so fucking obvious and clear that kaden is in love with my shepherd at this scene (laughs) the first way that we know this is that it like as soon as he's walking up, the romance music is playing. Like it's Mass Effect Two knows it doesn't. Wait, which Bioware romance didn't... music is it? Is it the same the the sad piano music that plays during the sex scene in the first one? <laughs> it is the sad piano music that plays during the sex scene in the second one. So it's it's like what are people at Bioware getting down to, man? <laughs> like really sad shit, apparently. Like let me <laughs> set the mood. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's dim the lights. <laughs> That's what really gets me going. Crying. Um So anyway, the sexual sense is gonna be cut with a knife, because like he's like thinking you were gone, it was like losing a limb, and I was like, which limb did you feel like you lost? <laughs> I might need to edit that one out. Oh god. <laughs> But the thing is, like, he, like, he, okay, Shepard even is the one, I feel like, that has, like, the stupid reaction to, like, seeing this person again. Because, like, the most emotional reaction you can say is, been too long, Caden, how have you been? And then Caden literally is like, that's all you have to fucking say right now? Like, I thought you were dead and you just show up? And you're apparently with Cerberus now? Like, you you drop all this on me and, like, the best you've got to say to me right now is... Hey, how's it going? Okay. Whereas yeah. everybody else, like everybody else, is like they get one line of like mild surprise and then go on as normal. Where this is like the only scene that really gets that moment of like you were gone and the world needed you, I needed you, and now you just show up. Ken, this is the part where I'm going to press you a little bit. Okay, go. Go for it. How how much of this scene being effective do you think is tied to the fact that you romanced Caden? Like, do you think... And I know it's hard to, like, retroactively try to think about this, but before Caden was ever an option for romance, do you think that this was still, like, a good scene that played out with, like, the right amount of emotional attachment and stuff? I think it... I think so, because... <sighs> So there are three returning squad mates that don't come back to your squad in Mass Effect 2, being the Vermeer survivor, Liara, and Rex, where Rex, okay, he's, you know, 
he's doing important shit, which we'll get to in a further episode. Liara, her just not show, like her not coming along feels very contrived and forced. And boy, we're gonna talk about that. Don't worry. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> this is the like on top of Caden being the only one that really reacts properly to somebody they thought was dead being alive, like the motivations behind him not coming back feel very genuine because Cerberus, as far as he's ever known, as as we did in Mass Effect 1, is like a terrorist, like or known as a terrorist group that does like vile experiments, seems to be operating under the banner of human supremacy. And so I feel like, at least on the end of like that character, it's very effective, where as Shepard, I feel like I can't really react to the way the game has wanted me to. And not even just like from a romantic sense, it's just like all of Shepard's dialogue are stupid, like, where this person's making, like, this person's making a lot of great arguments, but I have to just, like, the plot drives me in one way, where I have to be like, no, this is okay, I swear, despite the fact that you are making a lot of very compelling points. Um, as for, I, I, I if you don't care about Caden or Ashley, I don't know that the scene necessarily is going to hit the same way it hit me, but I think from that, like, that emotional logic of the character, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it hits better than anyone that's put in that similar situation of, like, the method, returning method one squad means, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I ask because, having played through this game several times, uh, and every time, Ashley was my survivor, um, So, and I've also seen what the romance side looks like, and I've also seen what the normal uh, side looks like for both uh, male and female shepherd. It seems like the consistent tone in this conversation is to paint the other person as an asshole for not wanting to help you out and that they're just being a jerk and, and oh, now you're too good to, to hang out with Shepard and <laughs> just because I'm with Cerberus now, well, Cerberus treats me better, all right? <laughs> Cerberus doesn't wear flip-flops to a nice sit-down dinner, okay? Like, <laughs> um... So it's, I always thought it was a weird way, even with the romance side, you know, they have the little bit where it's like, oh, you know, I've, I've missed you so much and mm. two years and not doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's Ashley. I doesn't seem like the type to move on that quick. Um, it's, um, it's all really strange. And I, I always thought the tone of it was very odd because I, I could sense some of what they were going for with, with what you mentioned uh, with them being like, how can you just show up and, and be all like, hey, it's all cool, you know, everything's good now. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially with Ashley, it feels like they painted it very much like they were trying to make you not feel like an asshole. Whereas yeah. I feel like you should feel like an asshole in this part. Right. So, like, from a meta perspective here, I do know that once this conversation happens, that's when romance options in Mass Effect 2 open. So I feel like oh. the way the way that they've written mm. this is supposed to, like, I guess, give people that might have been in... Um, it's the whole romance... past conversation. Yeah, it's sort of like a... I don't know, like a... Yeah, like a free pass to be like, you're you're broken up now. You can do whatever you want, and that you know comes up in Mass Effect Three in ways that we will get to when we get to that game. But it's hard for me to like get out of that conversation not feeling for that person, like the person on the other side of it, because 
again, like, I feel like they're in the right there. Um, like, they might have wanted to write it in a certain way to, like, make you feel okay moving on. But I don't feel like... Like, even knowing that about the way that the game is, like, coded, I don't feel like it really undermines the way that the characters react. Yeah, it... I keep going back and forth on that because one part of me is like, oh man, you know, they're they're basically just giving you, like, they're making these characters fight so you can feel okay for pursuing romance in this new game. And that's, part of me is like, that's kind of fucked up. You know, that's that's weird. That's kind of skeevy to be like, okay, let's break these characters up so Shepard can go get it on with a whole new batch of characters. And, like, mm-hmm. part of me is like, ugh, that's kind of nasty. But also part of me is like, well, you know, like, real relationships have real ups and downs and... Right. and the way that i mean so we will preface this with you can continue the relationship with miranda or not miranda um ashley or liara in mass effect 3 uh with the caveat being that uh you're kind of not in a relationship for this one not in like the most literal sense so um not in the not in the sense that the game will give you a trophy for it so um <laughs> it's it's interesting then that there is kind of a choice here that is made that you can be like, okay, well, fine, we're, we're in a fight now. And so it's kind of up to you to determine whether that means that the breakup was real and you're going to move on to somebody else or if you want to just, you know, you're not going to pursue anybody else. You still want to pursue that person, but you're just kind of like taking some time apart right now. Like, I think there is something interesting to that even if it happened completely by accident or 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 vice versa that it was intended to be like that and then it just kind of comes off as oh you know here's here's your hall pass go Mm. bounce around the crew of the normandy um yeah i think it's just it's one of those things that comes down to how you like not necessarily how you perceive it but just like how you act upon it we're trying to gamify relationships and that's always going to be like a tricky thing because the fact that you have you're trying to take this thing that is about emotional attachment and turn it into something that can be defined in binary ones and zeros you're going to run into some parts where it's going to be less pretty once you dig into the gears a little bit you know you don't want to see how the sausage is made so (laughs) (laughs) um before we step away we need to talk about your girl Ashley Williams, real fast. Yeah, we do because she. <clears throat> my God. Okay, so like the thing that's really interesting to me about like watching these two scenes side by side, depending on like who is alive, it really underscores, I guess, what makes them different. Because like, get it? Like again, get into the meta thing. Like they, Katie and Ashley, up to a certain point in Mass Effect Three, carry on the exact same role. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like the tone of conversations is different, just depending on who's there. Um. Caden manages to go through that entire conversation without sounding like a fucking racist. So I imagine that if somebody is has a line where they say, I'm no fan of aliens, but Cerberus has a reputation for being extremists, that probably has more to say about them than just, like, the plot, right? You got Ashley Boogie Williams over here just trying to... Oh! <laughs> Shit! No, I'm kidding. Uh, she's she's not trying to hear both sides. She's <laughs> she's very she's firmly, firmly on, one, on one. Um, yeah, trending gamer of the year, Ashley Williams. Um, <laughs> it's 
So like my, it's like, so yeah. This <clears throat> j- just to you know to, to give my perspective. Yeah, this was the whole conversation with her was a lot of pot calling the kettle black. Where it's right. Okay, uh, she's like. Oh well, I don't like aliens either. But come on, Cerberus—they're a little extreme. And and part like, of it was like I don't think aliens should have rights, but I don't want to kill them. Yeah, and I was I was just kind of sitting there, and I'm like, boy, you need to like carry around a tape recorder and just record yourself and listen back to it later. <laughs> I th- so my my takeaway from this is like I want to jump ahead a little bit because like the way that Ashley's characterized in Mass Effect 3 has like a lot of inconsistencies that we will address when we get there but I want to talk about this because it's like one of the last times that she really shows her racist ass because there's this I there's this like idea that Ashley grows throughout Mass Effect 3 and that this Mm -hmm. sort of like viewpoint that she has is based out of ignorance and like it's something that she comes to terms with and like, sheds by the end of the trilogy, but I don't think that, like, omitting something is the same as confronting it. Because Ashley, this is the last time that Ashley says something of this nature. And just because she doesn't say something in Mass Effect 3 doesn't mean that she has grown as a character and that this, is this like, plot line has been closed. Like, it... I mean, that's one of the things I'm most interested to see with Mass Effect 3, uh, specifically with the Ashley stuff, because I... Did not spend as much time talking to Ashley in Mass Effect Three as I did with other characters and stuff. Mm. I did I did all of her requisite things to. It's not loyalty or whatever. I forgot what they call it in Mass Effect Three. It's um just more like trust. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there was a word for it, but just um, that. Yeah, so I did I did all that stuff, but I it was just very immemorable for or not not very memorable for me. Um, mm. and, and there probably is an extension of the the fact that they had to account for either character being present. I, uh, but, uh, I mean, that's a Magic 3 conversation, but I don't, at least as a, as a person that had Caden through Mass Effect 3, I don't really, I did not feel that that stuff was necessarily butchered or felt like, I don't know, like it was given any less attention. This could but, just be a reflection on the actual quality of of the Ashley content as well. That so. is that is kind of what I'm getting at. But that again, that's a Mass Effect 3 conversation. So yeah, it's that's going to be a very interesting thing moving forward. And and you make a good point that this is the one check in we have with this character. We don't see them again in Mass right. Effect 2 after this. Uh, they just kind of show up and then go away. And I think there is power to that. I would. <sighs> I would argue that I think it's a bigger impact because we know that this character will play more of a role in three to come. Mm-hmm. Whereas otherwise it would be, I mean, you spend less time with this character than you do with Rex. I mean, you actually probably out of all your former squad mates spend the least amount of time with your former human squad mate, uh, the, the survivor, because you know, a couple of them join your party and other ones are still mission givers and stuff like that. So you probably spend the least amount of time with the surviving human squad mate. Because it takes like half the game for them to like be a proper like member of the crew again. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways that does feel very radical because, you know, we talk a lot about 
how Bioware always likes to give you that that kind of shoulder angel, shoulder devil character. You know, the the trio mm. that is going to accompany you throughout the game no matter what. You know, Caden and Ashley were Mass Effect 1s. In, in Mass Effect 2, you have Miranda and Jacob. Uh, Mass Effect 3, I'm looking forward to that because I feel that was where they got away from that formula. Yeah, they don't really and, have that. And I think it's better for it. But mm-hmm. um, even in Dragon Age, uh, you have much of the same in Dragon Age. And part of that is a little bit of game design, you know, making sure, like, okay, this person is always going to be able to have a full party, and they're always going to be able to have these tools to answer these questions. So that way, you know, like, they won't have to worry about how other things pan out. There will always be these constants that we can put in cutscenes and we can do all this other stuff. Uh, they can be T-posing in the background, flying around at the speed of light <laughs> behind <laughs> Morden. Um, I was so happy that Jay had that same bug because I was just like, this is wild. <laughs> I've played Mass Effect 2 at least a dozen times and I don't remember ever seeing that. It was it was just the stars aligned. They knew that Norm <laughs> DFM was recording and that things had to happen. Um, so we get back, we find out that uh, that the elusive man... Uh, basically set us up for Horizon. That that he knew that a collector attack was imminent, and also he was tracking our human squad mate, and and so he's he's basically figured out like okay they're looking for people that are associated with you, uh, and this is kind of the part where the urgency gets a little weird for me, and and, and I think this might be a good note to a good last talking point but the urgency of this game is always a strange thing because the whole idea is that you're kind of throttling towards this final confrontation and and you're really you're just trying to figure out how to get through the omega 4 relay in the meantime you're kind of assembling this team that's going to go with you this this crack team that's going to help you uh take down the collectors and it's at this part where he's just kind of like yep well, that was wild. Well, I guess you can go recruit some more people. Probably going to need them. <laughs> like, it was just a very sudden shift. And I I was kind of left going like, really? We're not going to have any updates? He's like, got nothing to give. I don't know. Go hang out on Ilium, <laughs> I guess. There are more people there. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's It's a little odd. And there's a worse offender later in the game. Uh again everything's going to come down to that collectorship mission <laughs> yeah i think with the urgency the weird thing is it's like in premise there is supposed to be urgency but like because it is a video game and there are like there are like very definitive things that block the urgency like if you don't if you don't do this mission the story won't progress so i have all this time to do everything else i want to do as long as i don't go do this mission um yeah yeah, and it helps a little bit knowing that that we're going and knowing that like okay, I still like I had not triggered the the end game state yet, so right. I still have all the time in the world to do this stuff. Yeah, and like there is a point later where like the urgency is basically like put in your face, and yeah, you got to ma- you got to make a de- yeah you got to make a decision, but yeah, Ken in the meantime, knows what that decision is. Yeah. <laughs> Ken already made that decision. Yes, I it's did. It's gonna be some. Uh, Kelly Chambers slurpee going on. <laughs> I had to save her rail. She just happened to be there. <laughs> you put her back in. 
<laughs> you're like rescuing everybody else and then like like oh like, god thank you. this one one open no you specifically take her out and then put her back in yourself and close the door <laughs> get back nobody saw that right that was the renegade interrupt yeah that is that is um oh, man. oh mass effect 2 so i i would argue that we're at about a third of the way there We've got uh, a whole set of new dossiers to go through. And uh, we're starting to get a larger picture of what's Mm -hmm. going on with the Collectors, with the Reapers, with assuming direct control. Uh, And also with the crew, because we're starting to get to the point where everyone's starting to realize, oh shit, we might not come back from this. Yeah, so now is is the point where we are getting into loyalty missions. Uh, Because I believe it's also around this time that you can start doing loyalty missions. Mm -hmm. I think I got Miranda's around this point. Right. Uh, And we will be talking about those in their own separate uh, podcasts. We won't be uh, intertwining those into other episodes. Uh, And those are all coming up pretty quick because really the the dossiers that are left are are not like, uh, there's not a lot left there. Most of the content from here on out is going to be a lot of loyalty missions, which are super crucial i feel to this game and a, and a big thing i think we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that why i love loyalty missions uh when when we get into them because i think there's some really cool theming behind them and, and the way that mass effect 2 does them uh but i think i think that's it today ken it was it was a pretty breezy episode aside from the uh from the rendezvous with caden mm. not much that's... longer and then we'll finally be together <laughs> only a little bit longer little. uh if if you've tuned in today thank you so much for listening as always you can go to patreon.com slash normdfm we have a patreon set up there to help us handle uh hosting costs because turns out that putting things on the internet is not free uh al gore lied to me and and <laughs> there was a just a massive misunderstanding so the Patreon is out there. Uh, all of it just goes towards uh, helping pay for our hosting costs. You know, SoundCloud uh, wants their money. They're going to have it. So uh, if you enjoy what you're listening to, uh, pitch in there. The more of you the pitch in, the more you can help us hit our stretch goals, which include making me play a game I don't want to play, and then making Ken play a bunch of games that he probably doesn't want to play. So uh, if you'd like that kind of content, that's up there too. But... For Kenneth Shepard, I'm Eric Van Allen. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week when we go recruit some more people on Normandy FM. Don't be a thing.